Welcome to Deeper Walks on the Trail podcast. You are on the trail with father-daughter duo Marcus and Stephanie Warner. I'm Stephanie, and I'll be talking with my father, Dr. Marcus Warner, as we discuss topics that help you stay on the trail to a deeper walk with God. Episode 62. Today we are looking at how wounds affect our identity. Hello, father. Hello, daughter. Hey. Hey, here we are again. Here we are again. It's going to be a habit. (laughs) It's a good habit. Uh, Hey, today's icebreaker is courtesy of a listener. What is something you are curious about and actively learning about right now? Is that for me or you? It's for both of us. Okay. Uh, I can go first if you need to think. You are a much more naturally curious person, I think. Go Uh, ahead. Uh, uh, I don't know about that. You you have lots of things you're curious about. That's kind of part of how you built the ministry is you being curious in things and (laughs) researching them. Yeah. No, I – yeah, okay. I get it. So – I will say that one of the things that I have been curious about and um, doing some more research in lately is bouldering. Um, I realized, I was reminded recently how much I loved climbing as a child. I always loved um, climbing monkey bars. And I remember that this big, at least in my child eyes, it was like a three-story wall at Galleons that I love to climb, and I just got so much joy in it. And I'm still in a transition phase right now as I move back to Indiana from Kentucky, and I'm looking for things that I can add to my rhythm that um, would get me active, get me in community, get me, um, I don't know, bring bring joy in another area of my life. And I was just, yeah, recently reminded that, oh, I loved climbing and I still love the idea of that. Oh, also, I <laughs> in, in in the novel that are, I'm working on, um, people also have to climb a lot. And so it would be good research for me to yeah. um, be better at climbing. So I don't know. I'm I don't know how serious I'm gonna get into it, but I'm I'm looking forward to No, that's very cool. That more. That's very cool. My uh you know, as I think about it, the like what on my own time, kind of what have I been studying and looking into? And, and the answer is a little fits. It's a little crazy, but it's kind of like Nephilim <laughs> and the eat and the story of Enoch and the Watchers and all this stuff. I've been reading Michael Heiser books, reading some uh, novels that were inspired by the books, and uh, it's been uh, so. It's, I've been curious, you know, to see how people put a lot of these things together. So that's... (laughs) (laughs) Yes. 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 That has definitely been something that you've been interested in. And I have loved talking to you about that too. That's... Yeah. There's like, I think a Chronicles of the Watchers, Chronicles of the Nephilim. I don't know. I can read the exact name of the series. Oh yeah. The novels. I haven't actually read them yet, but... But I I know that you get a kick out of them and you enjoy them and that's cool. Nice. Yeah. I'm not like thumbs up the theology's right, but they're a fun read. Yes. (laughs) Very good. All right. Well, last week we started talking about beliefs-based identity in terms of kingdom versus cosmos. And we looked at how the flesh identity can slap you and <laughs> and how to take the mirror away from our face and look to God and how he sees you. Today, let's look at how the world wounds us and how the pockets of pain in our lives affect our identity. So Opening comments, Father, on pockets of pockets pain. of pain. So that term I first heard from Dr. Elaine Pakala, and she would use it in describing um, how she helped her clients. And 
uh, her story is one of having endured horrendous abuse and um, from a split personality, you know, member of the family and from all this trauma in her life. And so she really understands pockets of pain really well. And the idea is that I may trust God when I am operating out of, excuse me, I may trust God when I'm operating out of my core heart, but when my pocket of pain in my heart, the, the wounded part of my heart gets triggered, that part of my heart doesn't trust God. And I can literally become a completely different person when I get, when my pain gets triggered and that part of my heart comes out because that part of my heart doesn't trust God, doesn't have the same worldview, doesn't have the same values, is very self-protected, is very flesh-driven. And that's why pockets of pain is so important because I can almost, I can function as if I have a split personality because I act so different when my wounds get triggered than I do when they don't. And so that's, um, you know, that's kind of the idea behind pockets of pain and why they're so important to understand. Yeah. So let's let's break down how you can be wounded. <laughs> how you can be wounded. Okay. So a happy topic. You're an author. Give me a little. No. Oh, oh man. No, there's a list of uh, when I <clears throat> I list three primary ways that we get wounded in um, understanding the wounded heart, and that is A, B, and C trauma. So A is uh, the absence of good stuff I need. And uh, first of all, I would define trauma as anything that stunts my ability to grow, right? So you think about what keeps a plant from growing and what it doesn't get. That would be A, trauma, not getting enough water. For, For me as a child, not getting somebody comforting me in my upsetting emotions and what I don't get. Uh, traumatizes my growth and my development. So that's A, trauma. B, trauma, bad stuff that happens to me. And that bad stuff that happens to me is more in the abuse um, form. So it confuses some people because they think A, abuse, but it's B, bad. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the C is comparison. And I added this one to what Life Model teaches simply because I noticed that uh, I had met with a lot of people who who, who somebody didn't do a bad thing to them what was happening was they were simply comparing themselves to somebody else and that led to a wound and one of the uh i i remember twice in one week this this hit where twins told me a, a story uh that one of them was the academic excellence twin and one of them was the social party twin right and they found out decades later that both of them had been jealous of each other like i wish i could have been smart like you i wish i could have been fun like you i would and so what happened was they were actually wounded by the comparisons they were making of themselves with each other. And then I was I was preaching at a church and there was a line of people, you know, talking to me afterwards and I turned and there was this uh, young lady who was just kind of stunning. You know, every now and then it just like mm-hmm. almost surprises you how stunning someone mm-hmm. else. And she said, I just want to thank you for talking about wounds of comparison. She went on to explain that when she was in high school, she was apparently a late bloomer. And she said her sister was the pretty one that everybody wanted. And she got tired of everybody saying, I just wanted to get to know her to get to her sister. And so she had, nobody did anything bad to her. Sister didn't do anything bad to her, but she was wounded by the comparison. Like, I'm never going to be as good as her. And that led to the, all this inferiority, which led to a lot of bad decisions, which led to a lot of stuff. And so she said she had never heard of this wounds of comparison before and that it opened up a whole light on what she had been going through and, and where her problems had started. 
Yeah. Well, and that it fits perfectly in with what we just talked about last episode. Yeah. And yeah, <laughs> the slap. Yeah. So, it was, you know, it's ironic how often, like with eating disorders, it's really attractive women who don't think they're attractive. Right. Mm-hmm. And that comes from comparison because mm-hmm. you can always, and, and let's take looks out of it for a second because. This happens in in almost every area of life, and that is I found myself, one of the things that I struggled with was there was this sort of artificial person I would create in my head who had every perfect attribute. And so they were sort of this amalgam of every person I had ever met and every strength that I you know could put together from all of them. And so no matter what happened, I never measured up to that person. There was always somebody out there who was better. And as a result, you could never feel good about anything you did because, well, sure, I wrote a book and it did this, but that person wrote a book and it did way better. You know, it's like, you, no matter what it is, there's always something that is, uh, that, that knocks it down. And that's, that's what we're talking about. That's a comparison wound. And our, our <clears throat> flesh can, can make those tapes. And also the devil has to, you know, put his little birds on the shoulder and be like, oh yeah, good job on that. But yeah, you really messed up on that one over there, you know? And so you're just constantly in a cycle of, the the inferiority and and conceit yeah. that we talked about last time or you know whatever whatever the the twin virtues or or counterfeit virtues are um that the devil will pr- make you prone towards but yeah anyway sorry continue no that was it so the the abc now you can unpack further so some people talk about mother wounds or father wounds i think uh in one of my books i talk about father wounds uh Mother wounds and religious wounds. Mm-hmm. That's in a deeper walk. In a deeper walk. Thank yeah. you. I couldn't remember where I wrote that. <laughs> the, uh, the, uh, um, and one of the things I've been told uh, is that father wounds tend to go to the identity as much as anything. And that is who I am, whether I'm a guy or a girl. Um, my sense of identity is often anchored in my attachment to my father. And um, so that can be very joyful or it can be fear bonded. Um, the mother wound issues tend to go to my ability to be compassionate. And there's some other things that come with it, but that's just some of the things I've heard of, uh, about this. They affect us in different ways, I guess is the point. And then there are religious wounds. So in my own life, you know, I it was helpful to me to look in terms of, I, I love my mom and my dad. I had a great relationship with both of them. But everybody wounds, you know, we wound each other without intending to. And so realizing what patterns got established in my life because of father wound, mother wound, religious wounds. So those were significant in my own journey. Um, and uh, part of it, you know, I've talked about this in a, in a few different places, but like my early religious wounds started when about – when you grow up in church every now and then you're introduced to ideas too young. Mm-hmm. So I can remember uh, Carl Lehman talking about this, about hearing the, you, know, you got to sell everything, give it to the poor. You know, as this little kid, you know, picturing what I've got to go around naked and poor and, and not protect myself. And I need to give everybody anything they ask for from me. And you know, it, there are concepts in the, in the script. And I had some of the same issues being a, you know, when you're like an intelligent, sensitive child listening to adult themes in church, people can do nothing wrong, but it creates in you this sense of of fear. Like, oh, so I remember as a young kid, 
you know, most people have this thing where God is scary, but Jesus comforts them. For me, it was flipped. The father made sense to me, but Jesus felt fickle. Like I never knew what he was going to do next. And so there is this religious trauma that comes. And so sometimes it happens because the church is doing bad things to you or people do bad things to you in the name of God or the name of Christ. And Mm -hmm. sometimes you've just got a really toxic church environment, but sometimes you get religious trauma just because you're, you're introduced to things too young um, and you can't process it. And so it processes in your head in a way that it makes you not like God. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's, I had to um, deal with a lot of that in my life. Yeah, or maybe there there is something true that gets stated, but it's not presented in within context, and yeah. so it's, yeah, it's, yeah. No, and there were a lot of those for me. You know, whether it was if somebody asks you for something, you can't say no. Mm. Like when I listened to the Sermon on the Mount, that's what I was hearing as a little kid was that I'm a bad person if I tell someone no. And to this day, as a leader, I tend to be predisposed to try to say yes to people, and I'm realizing that you know. I can't. You know, you just end up disappointing everybody by saying yes too many times. You've got to say no, and that's not what Jesus was talking about. But as a little kid, that's sure what it sounded like. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to decide which direction to go here. Um, there are different ways of addressing A trauma versus B trauma versus C trauma. Um, do you want to cast a vision for each of those? Or Yeah, certainly. A, a trauma is primarily about um, – learning skills that you missed. So if you didn't get comforted, you didn't have people help you quiet, you didn't learn how to feel return to joy and share joy, those are skills. So A trauma has to be resolved with skill training and that means I have to experience those things now. And again, that's where I promote Thrive today because that's what that training is all about. It's helping you learn skills that you missed through A trauma. B trauma is largely about, uh, this is inner healing, spiritual warfare. So if I'm going to put it together, uh, A trauma is about building bounce and the four habits of joy-filled people, uh, thrive today, all that stuff. The B trauma is about understanding the wounded heart and spiritual warfare and, um, you know, wounds, lies, vows, and strongholds and getting those things, um, addressed. And then C trauma, honestly, the, uh, it tends to to fall under the category um the same the same solution really as b trauma and so you could think of it as a subcategory of b trauma uh because something bad happened to you but the bad thing that happened was you compared yourself to somebody mm-hmm. yeah i keep thinking about t bar charts too <laughs> thinking about yeah lies and truth and figuring out what are how are you seeing yourself? How's the devil trying to get you to see yourself versus how is God trying to get you to see yourself? No, there's no question yeah. about it. So I like people look at me and uh th- you know, people have some interesting ideas about me that I hear <laughs> through the years, right? And uh, some people looked at me and thought, you know, I just had life handed to me on a silver platter because I was on, you know, my dad was Dr. Timothy Warner. I have grew up in an intact family. I got to go to Bible college for free, got a great education, got all this. And, and at some level, they're absolutely right. I've, I have had life handed to me on a silver platter. One of the things that went with that was, and again, this goes back to early childhood religious trauma, where I would hear uh, as a little kid, the story of the five talents. 
and think to myself, well, I'm a five-talent person because of everything that I've been given. Therefore, um, I better. It turned into a fear thing. It's like, I have to excel. I have no excuses. And what that led into was the constant feeling that I was a disappointment, that no matter what I did, it didn't measure up to what I should have done or could have done based on all the advantages that I had. And so the uh, that's an example of that goes right at your identity. And it's this uh, feeling how the devil's good at even taking blessings and turning them into curses if we look at it wrong and we get our beliefs about it turned around. And a lot of times we're predisposed to those beliefs because our attachments aren't strong enough uh, surrounding them. Mm-hmm. So I could go on more, but this isn't just a me counseling session. So uh. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I can identify with a lot of that. Um, I I also, last episode in this episode, I keep thinking about super sheep um, <laughs> and um, how one of Satan's tactics is to try to separate us and make us think that hey we're we are strong enough on our own or you know we can we can do it on our own maybe we'll talk about that more next episode yeah. but i yes for those who don't know the super sheep story i was gonna say do you want to talk about it next episode because we can save it or do you yeah it's it's a core story in, okay. in a couple of the books that i've written but yeah it's 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 basically this idea and we'll expand on it next time but it's basically the idea that the devil tries to get us away from the shepherd because we're easier prey and his primary strategy is deception so if he can get us to believe things about ourselves that said we're a disappointment to the shepherd for example then i might not spend as much time in prayer with the shepherd because i don't think he's all that happy to see me well that just sets me up to be easier prey for the enemy so all of these things keep coming back to this idea of slavery, mm-hmm. right? The devil wants us in slavery, and God wants to set us free. Hallelujah. So do you want to cover some WLVS at the very core? You mentioned it before, or? Well, yeah. I mean, we t- we're going to obviously talk about this a lot. Be- mm-hmm. It's going to come up in a lot of episodes because it's such a core illustration, but when people would, um, when I was a pastor and people would, we'd block out these two hour appointments. And so I needed some tools to make these two hours as efficient as they could be. And one of them developed pretty quickly was this idea of wounds, lies, and vows. And it's the idea of the world wounds us, the devil lies to us, and our flesh makes vows. So you got the world, the, the devil, the flesh. The world wounds us, the devil lies to us, flesh makes vows, and the product is strongholds. And so as I would sit there and listen to people tell their stories and I'm taking notes, right, what jumps out at you is, oh, that's a wound story. Oh, I hear a lie there. Oh, that's a vow. That's an I will statement. I will never let, you know, this. And then and then you're also noting the strongholds they're dealing with. I'm in depression. I have an addiction, right? I, I hate myself, right? What are the things going on here? So uh, it, it affects just even the way that I would take notes on listening to people tell their story. So you got an idea, this is what we need to push into now when we start praying through these uh, through these issues. So we say, God, out of all these wounds that have been talked about, is there one in particular you want to heal while we're together here? That And so we would just ask Jesus, you know, do you bring to my mind one memory? And we'd go to that one memory, and then we'd, we'd camp out there a little bit, process it a little bit, and then dive in and say, Jesus, I now ask you to do something to heal it. 
And, and then I'd say, just pay attention to the first thing that comes into your mind. Go back and revisit it. You know, uh, do you have new thoughts? Do you see new things? Do you have new feelings? Has anything changed because you just asked Jesus to come in? Let's be, uh, let's push into that and be sensitive to what those changes are. And then you're looking, and now you evaluate those and say, so these new thoughts, these new things you're seeing, these new feelings, are they bringing you a greater sense of peace and a greater sense of, ah, I'm going to be okay? Are they leading you to truth is kind of where we're going? Or are they increasing the bondage and the tension and the problem? And so what you find is discerning whether this is God or not is not as hard as it at first seems, because this thing's either setting them free or it's not. And so that that's kind of where WLVF started. It's the wounds, lies, vows, and strongholds. And it's the model that explains really how the devil uses wounds that happen to us to plant lies largely about our identity and God's identity. And uh, that, that, so that, that, that's our core model that I, that I've been teaching ever since. Yeah. When we have not only the book, but a whole video course um, on understanding the wounded heart that you can find at our website under, and I think it's under the get started. I don't know. I should have double checked. It is. That. Uh, I saw <laughs> our website keeps changing, but it is on the, uh, you can also find it at YouTube, Understanding mm-hmm. the Wounded Heart. Huzzah. So, can you tell us any stories that show how wounds affect identity? Like, well, you know, the opening story in Understanding the Wounded Heart is about um, a teenage girl whose parents got divorced. And the devil used the wound of this early childhood memory of her parents divorcing to plant a lie. And the lie he planted was, they divorced because you're not lovable, right? It's like, if you were really lovable, then how could he, you know, how could your dad have possibly left? He, the only obvious explanation is that you weren't enough to keep him here. And so there's this deep-seated wound that led to a deep-seated lie that led to vows, and the vows were, I'm never letting anybody close enough to me to find out that I'm unlovable. And in, in her case, her presenting issue she came for help with was, why do I sabotage all my relationships? Well, it, it kind of laid out pretty pretty clearly after that. And so I, I look at this, and I think that's super common, right? There's a lot of people who have patterns like that, where something happened, and they may have dismissed it. Like in her case, she dismissed it. She's like, oh, everybody's parents get divorced, right? This happens to everybody. You know, what kind of a wimp am I that, you know, that would be the core issue in my life. And we are often dismissive of things that happen to us. And I find that one of the reasons that we don't deal with our wounds more often is that the number one reason I run into is that people dismiss them. Mm-hmm. Um, the other end of the spectrum are people who have made those wounds so massive and so big and so monumental that they don't think anything can be done about it, so they don't try. And I find it goes one direction or the other, kind of the two extremes idea. And so uh, we want to encourage people, you know, Jesus has a solution. Yeah. Well, and even reminds me of, I mean, this is more niche, but like the peacock versus skunk narcissism, where you create your identity of like, oh, nobody's problem, like a skunk narcissist, nobody's problems are as special as mine. And so you almost glorify your wounds because of. No, and you run into that a lot. We call it like a victim mindset or a victim spirit, which is very similar to what we would call skunk narcissism. And it's the idea that what makes me special are my problems. 
Therefore, my identity comes from my, all of my problems. We call that a victim mindset, a victim mentality. That is that I am a victim. That is my identity. And I take that identity from the fact that my problems are what make me special. Well, that's no way to live life, right? And so what we want is to help people transition to having a victor mentality and that uh, Christ came to set us free to live as you know his sons and daughters to be princes and princesses in the kingdom right to and to live with the freedom that that, that comes out of this and so uh that isn't just a, a switch you flip right there's a, often a lot of wounds and a lot of lies and a lot of things that uh need to you know sometimes there are key ones that can make a big difference but that's uh that's what we're trying to help people you know break free from Mm -hmm. And you have to deal with that at the attachment level, at the beliefs level, at the community level. and Well, exactly, because people tend to gather around them in their community. They tend to gather people around them who will reinforce the narrative that they, in a sense, need to be true in order to maintain their identity. Um, and so that can happen as well. It's not the only pattern. It's a pattern that can happen. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to pause real quick here, and I'm going to pull a Q&A question from one of our listeners. Um, this person says, some of the more recent episodes and older ones gave me the thought of using some of these techniques, like calming and appreciation, with our youngest adopted son. He is 15 years old and on the spectrum. I was wondering if you have ever utilized with children or teens on the spectrum. That's an excellent question. I get, I've actually been asked that quite a bit. So I usually refer folks with this question to Stephanie Hinman, uh, who co-authored the book Building Bounce with me. Uh, she does work with children and teens uh, quite a bit. Also, I have zero experience personally with people on the spectrum and doing this stuff, but that doesn't mean there aren't people out there who have done it. What I have been told by some of the people, okay. yeah, did I say that wrong? I mean, but it, it's <laughs> there are like, people out there who have done it. <laughs> there are people out there who have used these tools with people on the on the spectrum, and one of the feedback I got from somebody who did that said the one exception is eye contact that that works different, um, and uh, so it can be triggering to some people on the spectrum to give them too much eye contact. So there are there are some differences, and I'm not really in a position to speak with authority on that, but. Other than to say that, yeah, there's there's people out there who who do use these tools, and uh, especially quieting and appreciation are two really good ones. Thank you. So as we are coming up to the end of the episode, uh, do you want to have any closing thoughts? Well, you know, wounds is a big big topic, and sometimes just talking about the idea of wounds opens things up for people. And and they don't always know how to how do I shut this back down, how to get on with life now that I've been triggered with all this. And I'm just this is where I like take a deep breath and say, Jesus, you know, I the John Eldridge pause prayer, I give everyone and everything to you. Mm-hmm. I give my uh uh I don't have to solve all of my problems today. I don't have to solve all my problems in the next 10 minutes. Now, I trust you that you're going to take me on a journey that's gonna get me exactly where I need to be. And that I can trust you to be my good shepherd of my father. And so sometimes we just have to remind ourselves of those things and that it's going to be okay. Hmm. Take a deep breath and uh, realize that I don't have to solve all my problems right now. Mm-hmm. Good word. Good word. 
Well, I am looking forward to continuing this conversation next episode. But for now, thank you everyone for joining us on the trail today. Deeper Walk exists to make heart-focused discipleship the norm for Christians everywhere. If you'd like to support this cause, you can become a Deeper Walk Trailblazer with your monthly donation of $25 or more. And if you want to keep going deeper with us on your walk with God, please subscribe to the On the Trail podcast, leave a review, and share with your friends. Thanks again. We'll see you back next week.